0: This episode, you get to meet Bernie Goldbach. Bernie is our media professional who's, who's been giving me some tips on how to improve this uh, clown show that uh, is my podcast series. Bernie is one of the true characters of my class, Spirit of 76. Uh, as a cadet, he was somewhat noted for being a long-distance runner. In the Air Force, he was noted for having a very creative mind. He's going to tell you some things that I cannot verify or deny. I just let Bernie roll. And then finally, he'll give you an update on what he's doing today, uh, working in Ireland. Uh, Enjoy Bernie Goldbach. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is the world-famous Bernie Goldbach, Air Force Academy, 1976. Bernie, I always ask people one standard question, but you're going to get a curveball today. All right. What What are you doing in Ireland?
1: Ireland is from where I am, John. If you go back in my family tree, you'll find out I'm actually from County Clare. People think I have an American accent when I'm here. They think I have an Irish accent when I'm there. So I'm in Ireland because I uh, accidentally dropped into the country on the back of something I did in Germany, which is write uh, programs for computer literacy for tank drivers, tank turnt, gr- gunners, and snipers. So I wrote GI bill programs. Uh, under tuition assistance in an army education office and an air force education office. And that led to a contract in Ireland for six months. And time goes slow here, John. 1995 (laughs) contract was up and I just stayed 94. I stayed so more than 20 years in Ireland. And I went from one little thing with a distance education program with a computer you can learn to use to keep. To teaching university students the same basic skills, except in the twenty first century skill set level.
0: So that so that brings me to the main question: Is what message do you have for incoming cadets, current cadets, recent grads, and the old goats like us from the Air Force Academy? You know, I've listened to a
1: lot of people in all your episodes offer this a different piece of advice. I have a different piece of advice. So I've always believed um, that. You need to create and share because the karma will come back to you. I mean, on the athletic fields at you know, the tug of war where you, you pull your weight or, you know, you're, you're running the obstacle course and you pushed up somebody, you shared your strength. So you, if you're unique about something, you create something really unique and you share it and don't claim it's all yours. Give the secretary some of the credit. In the Pentagon, when I worked there, we brought cream-filled donuts in for the secretary because she loved them. And she was the important word processor in the office. So create and share. It will come back to you in spades. That's my
0: advice. All right. So so where did, where did you grow up? Where, 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 what was your life before the zoo? Mm, I was born in Pennsylvania,
1: Dutch territory, where the signs for Trump are still up in the front yard. <laughs> and where people are proud Americans. So I grew up there among the Amish. I wasn't Amish myself. My four brothers, um, working class family, learned how to do things by literally carrying tent poles and canvas loads. My dad was a decorator. He raised tents, decorated ve- uh, venues for big events. And I did that you know, from age 10 forward, actually age seven. My grandfather took a picture of me with a vacuum cleaner in a country club. Uh, hoovering up, um, vacuuming up pine needles from a Christmas party. So that's what I did. Went to a Lancaster Catholic High School, was the class president there, ran cross-country, lettered in track, uh, was mayor for the day. Did a bunch of stuff like, um, I tell people I used to, they don't believe it, but summer times I used to run across the field to Millersville University and take calculus classes in the summer. I took two different calculus classes every summer uh, so that I would have an easy run of uh, the SATs and the easy run of, of, of the hardest thing I could possibly be involved in um, there uh, in high school. And uh, I did okay. So I, I I had a really strong high school experience. And because I love running, life was really easy at the academy. You know, it's, what's better to do at five in the morning besides run, maybe take a shower <laughs> afterwards. I might fit so, right so in.
0: Why Why the Air Force Academy?
1: Because I was sitting in my uh, track coach's office, he was the guidance counselor, and he had to pick up a little four by six cart, and he would give you your workout and trust the distance runners to do their thing, you know. So two of the guys, there was only five of us running two mile, <laughs> two of them would just go out and have smoke breaks. They wouldn't run, but I I followed the entire card, you know. And one day he was late writing the card because he was he was it so he was he discovered this fart lick interview interval training you know 200 yard sprint 100 yard recovery and he wanted us to do fart lick stuff on the track because he knew the smokers were doing stuff under the, under the bleachers <laughs> um and while i was waiting for him to write out the card for me because mine didn't include the fart lick stuff he gave me in a, like a 10 mile loop to do 10 freaking mm. miles and i figured okay I, I was waiting there for him and there's this brochure catalog and it was red white and blue helmet on it started reading through it and said it this is a thing you, you can go to. You get college credit, free meals, clothing, all the books are paid for. No lab, no lab fees, and you can travel the world. Plus a real job afterwards. Figured I'll sign up for that. So I tore tore the little index card out of the back, nailed it. Then my mother started getting all these little packages in the mail. But you know, brochure about this, you know, registration form about that. Now, I've got a dog barking who, who's running up through the cat in the house. But basically, that's how I got involved with it, it by happenstance from the track coach to the guidance counselor's office to a little record, you know, an index card, postcard you send in the mail to um, to a bunch of things I got to do. So, you know, I started doing everything I supplied to everybody. And then my mother got really concerned because she said, you, that's Senator Scott's interview on Saturday. You're not going to go to Bernie. I said, Mom, I got to run in this track meet. And, I mean, you know, they count on me to get the points. I, I, I can't give them some interview. Yeah, but you're going to give up the, I said, don't worry about it, mom. It'll all take care of itself. You know, we got to win this track meet. So, you know, as it turned out, there's like at least three of us entered the academy. In fact, one of the guys, Pete Trump, remember, he's a, he's a Trump guy, but not directly Donald's family. Pete Trump came in that same year with me, two other people uh, from Lancaster County. So we were lucky. At least three of us came in the same year. Uh, and uh, we all graduated. So. Oh, well, that's great.
0: Yep. So, so where? what did you think when they fired the cannon on our second or third day? Uh, yeah, just uh,
1: I was used to loud noises. <laughs> we rode in a 1947 two and a half ton truck and it backfired all the time. So I was used to loud noises just thinking, all right, yeah. then. Now that didn't, that wasn't, you know, wasn't traumatized by any, you know excitement like that it's
0: just <laughs> so dual do, do do year was no big deal for you
1: um i had you know i hate that i had no traumas i mean like i never i never wanted to quit ever i thought about options at the second year thinking i could get a, I could get a scholarship to georgetown right now if i do that because by the second year i was thinking you know i had a i had to do um I could I could take my skills and I knew I wanted to go into stuff with foreign service, foreign policy, international politics, and I recognized there were better schools to do that. I was looking at Tufts, looking at Georgetown, but I stayed with it because I was in a rut, you know, just simple <clears throat> knew how to knew how to do the thing. On the soup's list for two uh, semesters, and then decided to go after a way not to go to class. So for me, I knew I could pass the class even by not going to class. I was advised by uh, somebody in my uh, in my county. Look, when they give you these admission tests, the first few weeks you're there as a as a you know underclassman, it's a duly, it's a plebe or whatever. Um, s- try to sleep through. <laughs> so what do you mean? He says, you want the easy classes academically? So I said, all right then. <laughs> I didn't sleep through them. I just marked a bunch of wrong answers, so I get in the dumb classes for everything, and so like math was really low. I got put into German, but not the love where I should have been. And, you know, everything was like mid range or below. So the soups list was bang, bang, real easy for two semesters. And then it started getting more difficult. But I figured, wait a minute, I could travel with the forensics team or stay at home and study. Let's travel. So 30% of the time in my third, you know, second, third and fourth year, I wasn't on campus. I was flying on T29 going over the place with the forensics guys. So like, it was a bit of a, it was a major boondoggle. <laughs> you know, you had, to, you had to sit up and stand up. You had to talk to people, argue with people, and you were always involved in three separate categories. So there's a whole Facebook group of Cadet, cadet Forensics As- Association. You could easily get to come on here, and they could tell you how it was for them.
0: But, uh, yeah, that's what I did. So it's a little bit different. So basically, to- yeah, for, for those of us that are idiots, forensics is the uh, debate club, basically? Or- yeah, I did
1: debate, original oratory, pro- poetry, and prose, and something else extemporaneous speaking but i mean the real stars are people like craig manson who later went on to become like a judge and you know undersecretary of the interior and like he could photographic memory kind of people so they not only knew what the headline was in newsweek but what the article was about and who wrote it thinking god you got all that looking at thing yeah well don't you read too bernie <laughs> so they were really really sharp people you know and i realized all right i'm like in the middle third that's it with the people that are around me i mean a room with randy Speppman, and whenever i pissed him off he just just kind of strong arm me. And I have I still have scars <laughs> from the from my name badge coming through my shirt, poking me. And I had these blood spots on my uniforms. I freaking hell, Spet. What'd you do that for? He says, Don't piss me off. <laughs> okay, Spet. So I interview him and ask him if he remembers, you know, abusing his roommate.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll back, do that Spett. I hope you're to listening this, I still have the scars, traumatized. <laughs> So I'm curious I, I we all had ways of dealing with stress it sounds yep. to me like you have a famous story of uh uh stress relief by a trip to Denver
1: Oh well no it was actually I don't think I think Rich King might have put me up to this he he did <laughs> pick me up no I did a um I had it was in fourth year so like we had this aerobics module so we could do aerobics for P, we had we could make our choices you could do whatever so, I, I did not do well in boxing, even though I was left handed. But they the end of the first round, everyone figured out, look, I could beat you. So, I was pummeled and I was kind of like, oh, thrown all over the place in unarmed combat. So, I opted for aerobics. And uh, you had to do a variety of exercises, keep your scorecard, present it to the PT instructor. And, you know, they award you marks, but the marks were like on a curve. So, I asked them, I said, I want to do yeah, I want to do aerobics. Okay. And here's my stuff for this aerobics class. What I want to run. And the guy looked at it and said, uh, some, some major, uh, who I think was, uh, an army guy, actually, I can't remember who, well, anyway, really, I mean, like his neck said, <laughs> Don't mess with me. And like, he said, you're going to run, you certify, you're running this stuff. I said, yeah. So three days a week, I was running 19 miles a night. So I'd run around all the athletic fields. You know, and you know, you guys can measure it out, but I could, I had a 19 mile loop. It wasn't all one loop; it was several loops around. And I was running 19 miles, and after about three weeks of that, three football players that were in the class said we're being told based on the curve you guys are failing this aerobics class. They couldn't <laughs> believe it because me my scores were way up there. So after you know somebody said, "What are you going to do with that? You're going to run somewhere that really counts." I said, hey, "I'll run to Denver if you want me to run to Denver." So for 10 bucks. I laid out my water bottles the night before, and then I ran from Colorado Springs, from the Academy's Northgate, to Denver, Colorado. So it's all downhill, you know, and <laughs> it hurt. So it's ten hours, thirty-five minutes. Rich King picked me up on the side. I was sitting on a on a sidewalk, on a curb, and he picked me up in his car and said, "I can't believe you did that." I said, "Wow, it hurts, Rich. I tell you, it does hurt." So I lost three toenails on that, turned black, wow. and. um, I was a mess. I mean, I had so much lactic acid buildup. Really, it really, it was not smart to do, but I mean, you know, if you, if you practice with 19 mile loops three days a week, theoretically you know, 19 miles for me during a marathon was when I'd hit my, we hit the wall. And yeah. as long as I could finish 19 miles without fueling the wall, I figured I'm good. I got the right
0: pace. And uh, there you have it. <laughs> three walls. <laughs> so how far, yeah. how far do you calculate that route? Well, it's at least
1: 52. It was at least 52 miles at yeah. least. It, some people say it's like 54 miles but i think 52 is what i what i figured out based on where
0: rich picked me up
1: because inside so Denver the, city limits
0: you're the forest gump of uh ultra marathons huh yeah but they, they actually
1: i got a, a round of applause during one of the uh meals so they announced it from the The table at
0: the
1: top. yeah, The the tower. First class go up. Ran to Denver on last Saturday.
0: (laughs) And everybody goes, why?
1: Why? Why Why do that? You're not even on tables. What's going on there? Yeah. So
0: uh, a couple other questions. Did you have any memorable things about series? Yeah. You know,
1: I don't. Ron Crenshaw is somebody from the football team who is also on the honor committee. And I, I testified in favor of some fourth class cadet who was accused of an honor violation and he didn't do it. So I, I was a character witness and they did not like me being a character witness because I thought the guy was not deserving of staying at the academy. And they, they, they fingered me. So like this wasn't the era between Vietnam War and anything. So like Vietnam War and how to survive that was part of the curriculum of Siri, even though the war yeah. had finished. So I got, I got stripped naked and splayed in this one position. It was like a 45, 30 degree angle. And it was not, it was very humiliating (laughs) just to say there were no women on the campus that time, but Jesus can't believe they could, they did that to me. I'm looking back in that sand. That was not right. I'm sure that's not within the code of justice and definitely wouldn't work today. (laughs) You couldn't do that today, but I'll remember that for a long time. You know, and then they had me inside of a bag and they were throwing potatoes at me. That wasn't nice either. So that was my Siri. I survived. How, though. About, how about third lieutenant? I, that was a, that was my dream ticket because I got a C5 to Dover with um, ACM order, additional crew member orders stamped by the squadron. So I finished my three weeks in like late June. And I didn't have to be back to Colorado until uh, was it August? Yeah. so i just kept flying c5 and then went as far east as it could go dover i think only went as far as aviano or Sigonella. and then i would said well i got one flight that went to travis i said well let's see how far west i go so i got all the way to hickam on that one and I just kept going back and forth and just loving it because then I was like the gopher boy. I could tell the crew, look, I can bring you back this kind of uh, scampi if you want, or I know this one place has really good, you know, sushi. So I was like scooting off on the taxis to get really good meals. No more box <laughs> lunches for the C five crew. Yeah. We had like cuisine, baby. Uh, when I was flying, and that was that was my I, I, right then. I figured I'm going. I'm definitely going to Mac. This is the life, baby. <laughs> Just <get> this <laughs> thing. If this can be my career, I'm all right. with That you know.
0: Yeah, that, that yeah. I also did C fives out of Dover at a different time, and we got as yeah. far east as Tehran. We got the we good. went to Tehran. Yeah, the guy I was with, with uh, Dave Jackson, his dad was uh, an instructor pilot of yeah. uh, Boeing there, mm-hmm. so we went. In, we went there to get our laundry done. <laughs> spent the weekend in Tehran getting our laundry done.
1: No, there were good times. I mean, you're talking mid seventies. You know, it, just, it was it was chill. The music was still shit.
0: Well, not really. Ah,
1: I, was into, uh, I was into Fleetwood Mac and Pink Floyd back then. Most people weren't. They were into pop top top pop.
0: Disco. They're all into disco.
1: Yeah, but I mean, when you do the C five and you end up in Milton Hall or the 141, you start getting Brit Pop influenced. Yep, yep. And then you, you get you get to realize there's something other than American Top Forty and Casey Kasem. And you you kind of lock into it. Like Pink Floyd becomes your thing, you know.
0: So So yeah. did you go, did you do any pranks while you were a cadet? Oh well we did the
1: typical thing with like the flaming tennis balls underneath the roof. Oh, yeah,
0: Under- Friday, Friday night follies, yeah. Oh God.
1: We did um buffer races. Did you do those?
0: Yeah. We no, did I don't know about uh, races. I know about the man buffer. I don't know about the races. Oh no, that you had to have
1: a handler. You had to have the wax down ahead of time, but a buffer race with flaming wax, that's a <laughs> I don't know whether that when you were in 36, you had carpet. Nothing. This is no, carpet. we did
0: not. We we did not have carpet. 35 had carpet.
1: Mm, okay. Well, that means this like, and then we did um when it was in dual year, uh, seven Stalin like 17, we would do um swan dives onto the the linoleum, a little thin layer of water. Ah, yeah. <laughs> and that was kind of challenging. Yeah. Yeah. And then I wasn't part of any pranks, but I do know – I want to say Chuck Oltman was painted black when he got engaged. I'm not sure. <laughs> I wasn't part of that. I just watched and said, oh, I did help some of the um, academy high school cheerleaders get into the dorm and deliver donuts to the football players. I guess that counts as a prank.
0: Okay. That's yeah. cool.
1: And, and I watched somebody being stuffed into the F-104 and bouncing up and down,
0: <laughs> pretending that they had a girlfriend in there. Yeah. So well, then you graduated – Proud member of the Spirit of 76, and you get to go to Selma, Alabama, huh? Selma. Yeah.
1: No, yeah. Just for a few weeks, actually. And then John Roberts, the commander of ATC, said, hey, anybody here want to do any work with my command team? I saw this thing come across. That sounds good because it says San Antonio. So I went there and (laughs) did a major report with them, which I got some slack for because um, we did a research study, myself and Tim Schaefer, we recommended, based on the research, that if you learn how to ride a bicycle and you don't ride your bicycle for six months to a year, chances are when you get back on your bicycle, you'll know how to ride your bicycle. The same motor memory pertains to a flight school a candidate. Now, you may lose some of your flying skills, like you may not be able to land your T thirty eight perfectly if you have a six month break. But we recommended, we said, hey, general, the research says that's FAR pilot that, that new. Fighter pilot trainee should be able to not be a hazard to himself or herself at the end of a six-month break. If you put him or her back into the plane for two or three sorties, they'll be good to go. And that became <laughs> the thing. And I'm sure lots of people who, were after I had qualified, waiting to go to Holloman, were pissed off, saying, "What's just happened? We went from the <laughs> T-38 King of the Hill to pff, sitting on our butt waiting for the RSCU to open. What's going on here?" So that wow. we did that. Um, they liked the report. I actually got a really good like I don't know what they call it something inside your OER. So I got this report from Roberts. He signed it four star, and then somebody else signed it, and then a the third part – So I had three little pieces of thing in my OER folder saying, "Bernie is a good guy." So then I went to t thirty seven. Yeah, before nothing before anything started, t thirty seven turning. a remember falling through the porch of my. Um, IP's house, because it was Craig Air Force Base. Lee Quavis would tell you, they were closing it down. Well, yeah, they were. Selma was a piece of work. Um, you know, if you showed your hand, that was your admittance ticket to any of the working men club, color of your hand. Um, the best chicken was not did not match my hand, though. So like the best chicken places, I walked into one of the best, the best chicken place in Selma at 11 o'clock at night. Everybody from another race than I turned around, looked at me with this eyes and said, do you know where you are, boy? And I ordered my chicken and walked out. But like, wow, definitely white and black. I walked the Edmund Pettus Bridge to say I was there and uh, experienced um, kind of um, life in America that it did, did not experience north of the Mason-Dixon line. So that was my summer experience. It was meaningful, T-37 training but also very sociologically op- eye-opening. Plus, I met some ardent um, Southern Baptist women inside of tents, you know, the basic big old campaign type yeah. tents. Yeah. And the, watch the kind of the social behavior there. That was very, I didn't expect that, but I grew up in a traditional Roman Catholic family. But just to say that there were some easy-flowing social graces that seemed to happen <laughs> with Bible-banging <laughs> rhetoric happening from the front of the stage. I thought, wow, this is different. So that was my very fast sociological immersion to society. I mean, after a monastic experience at the academy, although in my fourth year, I spent more time on Fridays and Saturday nights in Slocum Hall and Colorado College than anywhere else. So I had a good fourth year social life. Absolutely. So I was That's emerging great. from the, uh, the seminary by the time I got <laughs> to the Snowmobile. from the prison camp yeah <laughs> no it's different john you know it is different you talk to somebody that that you know, graduated anywhere after like 1985 and oh different different yeah different but society had changed too so and
0: that's all right yeah so tra- Travis was your first uh, assignment uh yeah yeah it was went out there did
1: my alto sing to for co-pilot Travis was, was fun. Um, uh, lots of interesting experience. I got a scar on my right cheek, John from pulling dirt in and out of, Anna wee talk. So I got exposed to stuff that was, that was buried in the runic dome and the, an Irish surgeon did some really interesting surgery to my excavated my cheek, basically. So, um, did that plus, um, really interesting stuff in the uh, Johnston Island and wee talk Kwajalein, um, Midway and somewhere else, middle of nowhere. America. Is it wake? Yeah. Is, yeah. A lake? yeah. I mean, so like, but I mean, the interesting thing about where I went is that if you look on Google Earth, you can see these plumes of teal and green and blue that change. And some of the plumes, like in Johnston Island, it go, the plume goes out farther than you would think. And it's not, if you looked at the geological structure of the island, the plume doesn't match the geological. So there's gigantic concrete bunkers. The CBs have built or the Army Corps of Engineers have built under the lagoons. And inside those concrete bunkers are a lot of things that uh, will be a a really interesting script for a science fiction movie if the concrete erodes. I mean, there's mad (laughs) stuff we used to bring in these places. We'd haul stuff in and the couriers would have like an automatic weapon and two gigantic syringes big enough to inject a horse on their uh, feet, on their um thighs you look at them and say guys do we get any of those syringes too this is no nope, just for us i said well, what if it, the need for your syringe goes off like the the uh, cargo starts to vent what are yeah. we doing so, that's why you have your mask up front i'm thinking if that's what i think it is it's not the mask your skin will start to peel and stuff like that this isn't nice so we used to fly that mad cargo in um when i went to germany years later i found that the cargo was actually coming from uh unusual mustard and nerve agents, the French and the Germans had stockpiled on each other's soil. So the American military had a contract to take it out and buried in like uh, coal mines of uh, New York or salt mines of Midwest or all the way to lagoons in Johnson Island. You know, just mad stuff. Commerce (laughs) paying for the flights of the 141s. And then the poor air crews said, what's in the back, boss? I have no idea. But like, (laughs) if it starts to vent, we're going to throw it out. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and then I see at about the five-year point, you were at uh, Vance being an instructor.
1: Yeah, I got, um, I had an interesting time at, at, at Travis where they stood me down for a while, training me just in a simulator. Uh, so like, I was like a simulator rat baby just see, can you can you learn to fly the sim for your Cat 3 training? And I did that, qualified as an AC, off to Vance, T38 IP, And then had a mini leper colony at my desk. I mean, I had some people that were pieces of work. They were like, (laughs) I I always had a foreign national who was getting paying big bucks through the kingdom of Saudi Arabia or someplace to be a, a student pilot. And they always had an interesting twist or of interest, like they wouldn't listen if they didn't want to hear you or whatever. And uh, so I had some experiences there. I flew, I flew some of the uh, familiarization stories, with Eileen Collins. She became the first woman commander of the space show. Yeah. She was an instructor pilot there at the time. And we had some of the, we had the second cadre of women pilots, student pilots coming through uh, in my, uh, when I was there at Vance. Uh, did the flight line thing and then became a flight safety officer. Got really good at doing that job. to where We got the best flight safety office in ATC in 1983, I think it was. We were using cool. an Apple, Apple GS computer to map Excel spreadsheets, a uh, spreadsheet, and that wasn't Excel, a spreadsheet to a prediction rate. Uh, we, were, we actually educated the computer to predict bird strikes at a certain time of day on IR, I think it's <laughs> IR 146. And after the second prediction came true, the wing commander says, based on your prediction, will one happen next week? I said, sir, it depends totally on the temperature. He said, well, here's your temperatures. I said, yes, you will have a bird strike statistically you'll lose the airplane this time so he says okay you're telling me if i cancel irs the low-level routes we won't have material damage to the aircraft they said probably not 80 percent." he says okay stand by me on this so boom boom he he adapted this profile this this edict that no low levels after three o'clock in the afternoon and of course the places say we're going to get way behind the timeline and atc headquarters saying what's going on there we said we're not trying to lose a plane in the meantime, I think what was it? Columbus lost the plane for the same reason: low-level oh, bird wow. streak. And so the guy said, "Man." So on the back of that, Don Rigg became a brigadier general because, of wow. all the current wing commanders in ATC at that time, he had the the fortitude to say, "No, I'm going to follow the science. We're standing down for two weeks for this one activity. We'll catch up later." And he took all the heat. And then the, the statistics backed him up, and they gave us a big gold star of approval. Good boys. Showed that the numbers let the science speak the operational capability. I mean, you lose an engine or you lose a plane, it's a lot of money. a right. Person, it's even more of a tragedy. So, yeah, that's what I well, did.
0: Well, that's cool. That, that's, that's a pretty impressive deal. Um, yeah. And then, did that? Is that how you migrated up to uh, the mm-hmm. thing called Astra, uh, headquarters? That yeah, force? that
1: helped. I think what, what really set it in motion, though, was what I did with John Roberts, General Roberts. I mean, like, very few second lieutenants have a four star general saying, the boy did good. So, like that just percolated at to the top. And then the, what I learned over the years is that once your OER gets written by a four-star, very few colonels have the you know guts to say, no, he's not God's gift to mankind. <laughs> they kind of go with the flow. Yeah. So I was getting these, you know, nice endorsements and like it's doing an average to above average job, but not superlative. Although we did get you know shot at it a few times and stuff happened, you know, we had stuff happen. But I mean, a lot of other air crews stuff happened. You just recovered from it. Yeah, Astro was a thing in the Pentagon. I was there with like 70 other people. It was fun. We did stuff with, uh, the fun stuff I did was I did these, um, what are they called, ATOs, air transport uh, orders. So we generated a whole, I was at a telex machine. We generated these ATOs to, to send lasers and mirrors to Kwajalein for Star Wars. <laughs> we didn't have the lasers. We didn't have the mirrors. And then I flew with one of the missions to install them. Big boxes came out at exactly the time the Soviet satellites were overhead. And like, you know, we spoofed the Russians in Star Wars. And then these guys I worked with, I worked with some clever people who you know, looked at them, and say, okay, I'm not sure you're really a major just based on your hair. But they <laughs> said, look, look, you live near Lake Braddock. I said, yeah. I says, and you walk your dog there. And I thought, wait a minute, how they know I walk my dog there? He said, I said, yeah. He says, there's a guy walking the other direction. And he's got a Pekingese or something. I said, yeah, I've seen him. Talk to him. I said, what's that about? I said, just, just talk to him. Chat him up. Talk to him. Don't worry. <laughs> don't worry if he asks you about quadrillion. I said, what do you know about? He said, don't worry about it. But it turns out, it was like, if you've seen the Americans, that's serious. It's yeah, yeah, A freaking Soviet guy was trying to validate from this stupid, you know, free talking captain that, yeah, we're taking stuff out to quad to see about lasers and shit. And he was taking that back to the, you know, the intelligence level. I talked to the operations officer. He said he took a whole load of them out there in the C-5 last week. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) So that was my soft entry to the field of, you know, lightweight
0: espionage, you know. And then they they said, you're so full of gas, we're going to let you uh, pump gas to airplanes. Yeah. Well, yeah, we did. We did air refueling
1: in Charleston, it's where I went from the Pentagon, Uh, a lot of AR, I I was an AR IP, lots of long range stuff, difficult things. I mean, like that's when Central America was hot. We're bringing stuff in and out, Marines were taking in and out of Central America. Um, We're coming back with bullet holes near the number three hydraulic system, a couple of times, it's just stupid. You know, and then in Honduras and Central America, places in Central America, airfields that don't exist, John. Yeah. They, made, they were like you know uh, places where they'd fly the drug druggies would go in and out they just made the field slightly wider and longer for uh, 141 on 130 to come in we were landing in places i approached the runway and said there is no way this runway is 8,000 feet long there's no way it's 8 000 feet long someone would lie on the Jeppson, on the charts they drew the charts we drew they weren't Jeppsons. and like i was looking at this one saying how are we going to get into this field it looks like a high-tech and approach in a 141 fully loaded <laughs> I said, well, how, whatever you can do to get in I said, any weather report. He says, you got your weather radar. I said, that doesn't sound like, I mean, that doesn't sound very operational. We took 105 Marines out one day and it was like a Katrina like weather front over Texas. I was talking oh, to this Marine Corps general. He says, what time are we getting back into to brag? I said, We'll be on time, sir, but there's this weather. He says, what time are we getting in at Bragg? And he wanted me to tell him exactly the time that's on his arrival time. I said, we'll get that time. The only way we could do it is directly fly over Mexico, which was not on our diplomatic clearance. I'm driving right over top of Mexico. The cop said, sir, I don't think we have dip clearances. I said, don't worry about it. We're doing this. <laughs> so like months later, the ops officer says, can you tell me what happened in Merida? I said, no, huh? sir,
0: I can't.
1: He said, OK, we'll make it go away. So, I mean, the Mexicans were yelling at us, you do not have diplomatic clearance, say your intentions. You're a military aircraft, say intentions. We said, well, we report the next checkpoint at flight level 350. That's our intentions.
0: <laughs> yeah, they we're going where we're going. Yeah, and it all worked out. And it from- was
1: one of a stream of things that would happen in several operational missions that I was given to say, just it's up to you, Captain Gold. I just kind of figure it out, please. Yeah, I said, okay, then we'll figure this out. That's, that's called being a pilot. Yeah. Well, I mean, called- plenty of other guys on the calls you've had, they've done, they've done the same kind of, I mean, especially if you're carrying real weapons. You're yeah. in and out of places that are just like, wow, we're pushing the edge of the envelope here. I'm not sure we're supposed to, I mean, we crossed the Atlantic one day, John, radio out and we could listen to everybody else totally on that clearance that we made on our own. We got to England. We declared MARSA too which means military accepts responsibility of aircraft will accept flight as finally possible. And they closed Gatwick, they closed Heathrow, they closed uh, Luton, they closed like four other places as we're going in to, to land in Milton Hall. And like, you know, I'm thinking, whoa, we could have we caused the queen to wait on the ground based on the clearance we had coming in. But they do that once <laughs> a year for Reforger to make wow. sure you can get a whole flotilla of planes across the Atlantic without a problem. They have to test the fact that pilots can do it without running into anything.
0: Were those your only close calls?
1: Came back to Honolulu one night with a palm frond sticking out of the aileron. Um, another <laughs> time, uh, we had a ra- we had several rapid decompressions. landed in Egypt at an unknown place, and like, they were upset with us because we weren't supposed to be there with the military, a military U.S. flag on the tail. The camouflage aircraft is okay, but not with a flag on the tail. And um, we, um, this, the guy that was telling us about the problem, was trying to say, querying what we were doing, and like he had a jeep with a fifty caliber on it. And the guys at the State Department on the HF radio say, do not let him board the plane. Don't let him board the plane. I'm thinking, I'm here with a 50 caliber. Uh, We'll negotiate. So I had to give him my, uh, I ripped off my Velcro name tag and my flag and gave it to him and ended up with an Egyptian flag and his name tag. I said, I'll let you on the plane, on board the plane. Do not look right when you come up the steps. Are you okay with that? He says, yes. When you come down the steps, don't look left. He says, okay. So he walked on, inspected the plane. That's all he wanted to do. And he was on our side. He actually had an aggressor's patch on his shoulder. He okay. was on, his, okay. on our side, so, like, you know, it all worked out. Um, but, I mean, that's the kind of stuff, you know, you're given a certain authority to do stuff, and, you know, you got to do stuff.
0: And then th- that was part of your NATO deal with uh, at Ramstein?
1: Yeah, that became – I went from Charleston to Ramstein. Ramstein worked in Bunker's Airlift Control Center. I worked with a, a plan center with making the INF thing work for the Airlift Control Escorted a bunch of Russians to investigate German sites. When you're on an inspection team, you have a certain number of minutes for each place, different, certain number of hours for each place. If you, if you stick to the timelines, you end up being able to uh, slow everybody down. So we learned how to politely slow people down when I was in Ramstein. Um, it was kind of fun. So did that, did the Berlin Airlift um, plan and uh, a couple other things too. I was an Airlift Control Center officer. So talking to everybody across the Atlantic in any kind of aircraft, or, or organizing all the DV aircraft going the opposite way.
0: And then I, I, I kind of skipped over them, but you also got a uh, Air Command Staff College uh, diploma, right? Did you go back to Alabama for that? No, 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 no.
1: I didn't. I got ACSC just by correspondence. I, I did. I did the. Um, let's see. I was in SOS in residence. There okay. were Air Command Staff. I just did that by myself, you know. And then I did. Um, I got a master's degree when I was in advance in international, what was it? No, HRD, human resource development. And yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. And then uh, this might be an awkward question, but uh, you only gave the Air Force 15 years.
1: Yeah. The, the, the awkward question is, the answer is read my book. So let's just say that we're, <laughs> there, was a, there was an issue that unfolded that, um, like Craig Manson would know about it, but he'd probably say, no, read Bernie's book. So, there's, uh, Mike Cunningham would know about. You'd probably say read Bernie's book. So, okay. like, it's stuff that happened. That um, family situation unfolded, and some other things unfolded. So, um, the happy notes were that you know I was part of a Bon Jovi organizing committee for a big uh, concert that helped people that helped to clean up a, a really terrible uh, talk disaster. Seventy people died uh, with planes crashing into each other um, during talk '88 so um, that was my experience in Germany and I stayed in Germany to like train people how to become like computer literate and then over to Ireland where I am today
0: very interesting list of things that you are currently still doing yeah I go in order here top good
1: nobody can spell goldbach correctly so I said late 90s I said I'm top gold I can get you top on the search engine listings gold play a position top gold so I use that handle, Top Gold, on all good social networks. I'm over on Anchor, for example, as Top Gold. And like, LinkedIn, uh, Top Gold, Twitter, Instagram, places like that. Something in Limerick. It's a technological University of the Shannon, is what it's called. It's based in Limerick, uh, Ireland. And uh, that's the main campus. I live in County Tipperary, Ireland, where anyone listening to this, if you can bring your contrails with you, I will buy you a pint of Guinness. You should have
0: a pint of Guinness on your bucket list, real Guinness. I don't want to carry a contrails to Europe. I'm going to leave that. I leave that this in a special place hey, in the house. There, right? all right. <laughs> no, no. So, all right. Do you
1: have a challenge coin, John? Do you carry challenge? Do you carry a challenge coin? Uh, you know? I
0: do. I do have uh, something they gave me. I guess I got that in my luggage right. somewhere.
1: No, a challenge coin will work over here for a lot of different pubs. I mean, like fire departments have them. Okay. Police departments. I mean, so people recognize the sound of a challenge coin hitting a, a bar top, you know, the counter of a bar. You never know what that I mean, Like I go back to Lancaster County. I don't have uh, a challenge coin with me. I can, I can end up buying the whole flipping bars. I always carry that in my pocket when I go to a drinking establishment, I'm always ready
0: for that. And so you're the, you're the drone pilot at this place, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I train people drones. I train people with um, websites. I train people with databases, I train them with uh, audio engineering stuff. I mean, anything at all that that moves a pixel on the internet or back-end technology with it, I do that. So I'm in a satellite campus in a smaller area. So we do digital, digital animation. We do web production. We do uh, game art design, high-end computers to make stuff for like virtual reality, augmented reality, and, and standard browsing experiences. So it's t- high-end stuff, John. It's fun trying to stay ahead of the students. They're really good. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that's impressive. I <laughs> i'm in high tech as well i see you're getting uh, the high sign that it's probably time for dad to go do something else
1: yeah i Look, don't know what i don't that's dylan he's my timekeeper
0: and he's saying john's probably bored he wrote his book <laughs> yeah no this is this has been great bernie i appreciate yeah. it uh, thank you for doing this do you have any uh, other parting comments for the crowd
1: no i mean keep doing what you're doing john because i enjoyed listening to it i would really encourage people somehow to find a way to subscribe, I have it. I have this thing on a podcatcher, Spotify. Just follow. I, I if you look for John Hope on Spotify and you send a notification to your device, you can listen to the next thing, next session when it
0: drops automatically. So I recommend people subscribe to John Hope's. Uh, they they mm-hmm. changed the name on me. It's now called Report and it's uh, yeah, just basically just stories of the guys from the long blue line. Yeah. The long blue <laughs> line is what we're calling the uh, alumni thing.
1: Good. Well, I found, I find you from just Googling for John Hope podcast shows up, but I mean, the point is it's on Spotify. And if you have a smart car, you can ask your smart cars, dashboard play John Hope.
0: You don't want to listen <laughs> there won't to, be Bob to listen Hope. all these there other be guys. John Hope. What we want to listen to Bernie Goldbach over and over again. All right, then. All right, John, I'll listen to the next one you have. I'm sure it'll be better.
1: Thanks for spending time to talk to me and Dylan. Come here for your Guinness John come here for your Guinness We did a thing because Bernie insisted we're using Zoom because we're Zoomies but otherwise you're listening on anchor.fm or spotify or wherever <laughs> good podcasts are
0: offered This is this is my professional podcast uh, guest <laughs> telling me how to sell this thing okay. All right see you Thanks, later pal. John bye bye for now bye <laughs>